This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. A newborn baby only contains about a cup of blood. Whoa. Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season seven, episode nine of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer's Never Leave Me. As well as Gilmore Girls, Knit People Knit. I thought of some similarities, but they're not that similar. I do think Amy leaving maybe ended the similarity intentionality. Yeah, I feel like Amy had Buffy on in the background and it inspired her to watch each episode. This is, you know, based on nothing but a gut feeling. And now that she's gone, they're not doing that anymore. It's a shame. It was just for us 15, 20 years in the future and now it's gone. Someday, I'm going to reach out to my sources and see if I can confirm if this was true, though. Well, who knows? Maybe Maisel is based on some other show like Gummy Bears or Dragon Ball Z. Who knows? Yeah, we just have to watch every show until we finish. Every out. show until that connects. Ooh, Maisel's coming out soon. I'm excited. Me too. I don't think this is a spoiler, but I just read an article. Probably by the time this podcast comes out, you've binged all of Maisel. But I read an article that released some of the guest stars for the season of Maisel. And I think everyone already maybe knew that Milo's coming back. I assume Kelly Bishop, Emily, is coming back. But they announced that Sean Gunn, the actor who plays Kirk, and our friend from both shows, Danny Strong, will be in this season. It's going to be fun. I'm excited to see what they do with these characters, especially since Milo was sort of like a, almost like a joke. So it's interesting that they're bringing his character back. Maybe they'll bring him back for just a joke again, but he's too beautiful. People were like, more please. More please. But that'll be exciting. Yeah. Oh, and um, Sutton Foster, who's in the revival. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Yeah, I figured you don't. She's also in Bunheads. Amy loves her. She's a Broadway star. Some people say I look like her. I get that a lot. I kind of see it. Mm-hmm. You, why are you agreeing? <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you Google her? No. <laughs> Brian just agrees randomly throughout. Yeah. Is there anything new with you? Mm-hmm. Brian? Yeah. <laughs> Be an active participant. You're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything new with me? Yeah, I'm sitting in a beautiful chair that I purchased. Brian just checks out when I'm talking, and I have like a reel of clips of him just agreeing that I'll throw in from time to time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true, everybody, just in case anyone thinks it is. I do tune around in real life and just agree. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I got a new chair because I threw my back out a couple weeks ago. If you've been following our content, you probably heard me like grunting and moaning through the pain. And I decided I needed a new chair because I've been, for work, sitting in this garbage chair. And I mean that literally. Literally. An older couple was throwing these chairs out. They look like chairs from the 60s or even the 50s. Yeah, they're like very retro. They're cool. They're red. We were on the hunt for like four matching chairs for a long time because we used to have some chairs that were so bad we had to get rid of them. And for the longest time, I didn't have a job with much money. So I was like, whatever's cheap. Who cares? They were nice. Like three of them were in pretty good shape when we got them. They were nice-ish. But they're cool. They fit in with like the color scheme of what we had. Yeah, and they're definitely unique. But over the last like two years, they have not held up very well. They're, they've like split and been duct taped with colorful duct tape to make them look not so bad. They're like vinyl sort of chairs. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean. 
My grandma had some like it, but not red. Probably these. And yeah. they've been reupholstered since. Anyway, that was probably a lot of the reason my back wasn't doing so great is because I'm sitting in these chairs that are awful. So finally, I just bought a nice chair offline. I did a lot of research, way too much, and I bought a chair, and I love it. I love it. It's so nice. The old couple was nice. They were. I remember they were, like, so excited that we were giving those chairs a home. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got, like, a whole little home office now. Yeah, I've got the two monitors I got from work, and I've got this nice chair. I mean, it's it's nice. Everything's coming up Millhouse. We went to a murder mystery party? We did. Neither of us were the murderer. No. We were the maid and the chef, and we were secretly in love. That was assigned to us. We didn't choose that for our characters. Yeah, but we were supposed to keep that hidden, but we were, like, kind of touching each other the whole time and, like, being affectionate to, like, give hints, but no mm. one called us out on that. So at some point, I'm like, we should mention this, otherwise we just seem like a really inappropriate couple yeah. at this party. We went home and watched Murder Mystery, the Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler movie. Not the second one. The second one's out now, but we've never seen the first one, so we decided to watch it. It had so many tropes that the game had. Yeah. Which I, mean, I, I think guess, that was intentional. Though. Yeah, it's it's intentionally a very like murder mystery tropey movie. But I, I like, mean, it Whoa. was essentially the same plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost identical. What was funny about the murder mystery is that a plot device throughout it was people constantly remembering or like accusing someone of something because they're like, "You were at my place, and this letter fell out of your pocket." And I I'm not even exaggerating. Four to six letters. Or, like, very important secret documents just sort of fell out of people's pockets yeah. in this this murder mystery. My character had a very important personal document that I left you to keep track of by just keeping it in your work pocket. I kept it in my cookbook, and it fell out while I was making food. That's so dumb. Like, why wouldn't I just keep that in my private quarters? Yeah, I, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you not keep that at, yeah. Why am I holding on to it for you? I was secretly the daughter of the mansion owner, but he still made me dress up like a sexy French maid? Well, the sexy part, to be fair, was more implied than necessary. (laughs) I think it was heavily implied that my character was a sexy French maid. I just didn't argue with you because I was like, yes, (laughs) that sounds great. Yeah, continue with this. So, murder mystery parties, they happen. They happen. Have you done one? Tell us your thoughts. How did yours go? We'd never been. Let's do a Gilmore murder mystery yeah it was just like a box that they they bought that like came with little pamphlets and stuff it wasn't Mm -hmm. super official or anything we wore costumes it was fun Mm -hmm. luckily i had a whole restaurant show i just did so i had a ton of aprons and chef outfits we didn't have to try too hard to make our costumes i made a feather duster out of kurt's toys yeah because you had to have a feather duster and you're like i don't have who has this stacy do we have any five-star reviews any new ones so many we have a lot yeah kind of cool Thank you so much to R Savannah 19, MJ Constantino. Thank you to Metal Drummer 0213. Metal Drummer says that they use us as their sleep story at night. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, we listen to sleep stories, but not of us. I think that would be weird, but we hope you enjoy falling asleep to us. Do others of you fall asleep to us? That sounds a bit like an insult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think they listen properly when they're awake as well and then throw one onto sleep. I know people fall asleep to podcasts. I have a hard time if it's something I actually need to listen to. I mostly listen to, like, stories about random travels. Like, you take, like, a train ride throughout the Alps or something. Mm-hmm. I mostly listen to the Transformers sleep story, the one that there is. Yeah. We, we really need another one of those. I, no one ever said that they know what we're talking about. If you've heard the Transformers sleep story on the Calm app, let us know. 
I'm telling you guys, it's way better than you'd expect. I didn't go into this thinking, I'm going to love this. But now I'm like, can we just throw on a little Transformers? We need to talk about the twist ending. <laughs> From Canada, thank you to Ashley526. Thank you. Ashley wants to know why Buffy doesn't wear wooden high heels. That's a great question. That is like a really good question. Someone should just suggest that to her. Yeah. You just kick someone right in the chest. They're done. We've got a couple five-star reviews from the UK. Thank you to Joe Tapsell Chapman and Let's Be Having Ya. Both of them seem to really appreciate our charm segment. And Let's Be Having Ya was particularly impressed with our consistency. Not our consistency with how much we actually match the real show, but like how much we remember what we said. Well, you take care of that because I don't remember what we said <laughs> on the previous episode. Even I do keep some notes and do a little control F once in a while to search for certain words that come up again, but we do our best. And then we also had a couple people just kind of say five stars to you on Instagram. So shout out to Ava Earl and Jennifer Hansen. Thank you. Jennifer Hansen said that a year ago on vacation, she binged season four of our podcast when she needed a break from the chaos of her 14 siblings, their spouses, and their kids. That is a lot of people to be on vacation yeah, with. Yeah, that is a lot. And now she's listening to season five on this vacation. <laughs> <laughs> she's consistent. And also, quick just shout out to Dylan Drew for sharing this delightful piece of information. Apparently, Giles, Anthony Stewart head, was in a Percy Jackson movie where he played a centaur. Oh, yeah. Which was just delightful to see, considering we've been saying he's like turning into a horse or just like one with the horses now. Yeah, he had a horse body in that movie. He definitely does. I'll put the clip in the episode description. It was very funny. All right. Should we dive into episodes, Brian? Let's do it. This week, we started with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Stacy, please tell us all about Never Leave Me. Never Leave Me is about Buffy officially taking Spike in to see what's going on with his new murdery ways. And Andrew's still up to stuff. They also take in Andrew to see what his deal is in all of this. That's all true. And there's some, some revelations about what might be doing all this or who's involved and what's going to happen next. I mean, I think this episode straight up tells us. It does, yeah. There's some vagary. Okay, okay. So the previously on ends with Giles' head about to be sliced off. Remember last week? So I assume we're going to resolve that immediately, right? Usually, that would be the first thing we talk about. Wrong. We don't really resolve that at all this episode. Wait, we don't ever in this episode come back to whether or not Giles is dead, even though it looked like he definitely was about to be dead? Correct. Interesting. It opens with the Scoobies, Sans Buffy, patching up the Summy Res. After Dawn's encounter with the demons and Joyce and all that, the house is pretty messed up. Mm. They're talking about how Buffy's harboring Spike and how none of them are super cool with that since, you know, he's been eating slash siring people as of late. Yeah, that's not cool. Anya's like, don't we usually stab people in the chest when those things happen? She's referencing that happening to her like three episodes ago. Yes, which is very funny. Buffy, like, stabbed her right in the chest with the sword. She also stabbed Angel in the chest with a sword. Xander seems to kind of agree that he doesn't trust Spike, as always. But he and Willow do trust Buffy that this is the right thing to do. For now. Anya's like, fine, but we should maybe all prepare ourselves that William the Bloody is back. Cut to a man in a trench coat, walking down the street. We only see his feet at first. What? How did Spike get loose already? I figured it wasn't Spike. Or, mm -hmm. like, it was, but he was doing something cute and sweet. <laughs> right. Or Buffy's, like, walking around on a leash or something. 
But we pan up his body, and it's Andrew, strutting down the street in his new fancy trench coat. He's walking with the apparition of Warren, who's got work for him to do. Andrew's like, come on, man. Can't I just walk around in my coat for a while? (laughs) (laughs) Warren reminds him that he, Andrew, has to be the one to do some of this work, because Warren can't take corporeal form. But Andrew doesn't want to kill anyone else. So Warren morphs into Jonathan who's like, hey, don't worry about that. I freaking love being dead. And it didn't even hurt that much. It was kind of the same feeling as when I got ulcers in high school. But when it was all over, I became one with light and hope. Andrews seems to be comforted by this. He says he's glad it didn't hurt too much because he's not very good at stabbing. So does Andrew just think they're like ghosts of themselves? I think that's what we're led to believe, yeah. Why wouldn't he? That's what I would assume. Why would ghosts need him to do their bidding? Well, I mean, ghosts can't do bidding themselves. They can't Right, but like, what's Andrew's goal? What does he think the goal is? To get them back? To be with them? Why Why would his friends want him to kill people? I'm not sure, but like Warren suggested this was all part of his plan. Yeah. And Andrew's just like obsessed with Warren, so he probably thinks that, you know, this will bring Warren back from the dead somehow or something like that. It's never explicitly said, I guess. So they seem to be under the impression that the ritual didn't work. I have questions about that, but we'll get into that later. Jonathan says it's because he's little. Remember they tried to use his blood to open the seal or whatever? And anemic. Oh, yeah. He says I should have told them I was anemic. But he says he doesn't have as much blood as other people because he's little. Don't we all have the same amount of blood? I'm not sure how that works. I, I don't think so. I think if you're bigger, you probably have more blood. You must, because otherwise you'd be like lightheaded if you were bigger. But I thought we all had about like the same amount. I mean, maybe within a certain range. I'm writing, do we all have the same amount of blood? I thought it was eight pints. I mean, that's probably like an average. The amount of blood in a person's body depends on their size. All right. The bigger the person's body, the more blood it will contain. Because, like, later, we don't use all the blood, and they were just going to use random blood. I don't know. We'll get into it. A newborn baby only contains about a cup of blood. Whoa. I mean, they're small. That just seems like so little. That's why vampires don't eat babies. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Just, it's like nothing. It's like a little <laughs> snack bag. It's a little juice. It's like a gusher. It's a gusher. <laughs> Single gusher. Not worth it. Andrew keeps insisting he doesn't want to kill anyone else, and Jonathan's like, no problem, we can work around that. Buffy's upstairs tying Spike up in her room. They're back to this, I guess. <laughs> you mean the uh, sex that is rough, as Don would call it? Yeah. Interestingly, uh, Spike, when he gets tied up, says, tie them tighter, which is the opposite of what he does in Pangs when he was evil. Oh. So I think that's sort of important. It's letting us know that like he isn't evil evil. Like If he were evil, he'd be like, keep him loose. Yeah, he's worried that if she doesn't tie him tight enough, he'll get out and kill more yeah. people. Meanwhile, Principal Wood is strong-arming some vandal boys in his office when Dawn knocks on the door to let him know that Buffy isn't coming to work today. She really goes into detail about when and how much vomit and shit Buffy is producing. Yeah. <laughs> Did Buffy tell her to do that? Probably not. She probably I kind of feel like no. Us. No, no, no. She seemed like unaware that it would be embarrassing to Buffy. I feel like she knew it was and like kind of reveled in it. Maybe. Meanwhile, Buffy's, of course, not actually sick. She's just trying to figure out what's going on with Spike. She calls our old buddy Quentin of the Watchers Council in England because Giles isn't answering any of his numbers. How many numbers does he have? Like, what? <laughs> what is his life now? He's got his horse phone. That's got its own number. Um, he's got like, his secretary that takes calls for him for his job he doesn't have. He's got, you know, the coven. He could be at the coven. He's got the coven phone. Maybe he's got a cell phone. 
Quentin tells her that they don't keep track of their lapsed employees. So it doesn't seem like he's even working with the council. What mm -hmm. is he doing? Buffy makes Quentin promise to look into it. He hangs up and we see that he's sitting at a table of giant watchers. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the table's big. The watchers are regular. Just enormous watchers. <laughs> we must crush Giles. He's sitting at a giant table with many watchers. And he announces that the girl knows nothing and that they need to find Giles as soon as possible. And then he heads over to a big map of the world with a bunch of locations highlighted. So they lied to Buffy. I don't really understand why they lied to Buffy. I don't know. Did he lie? He just didn't tell her anything. Well, he says that they don't know anything about Giles. They Do don't they? track, but they're desperately looking for Giles. Yeah, they know he's missing, I guess. They also seem to know what's going on, as this episode will show later. Yes. And it seems like maybe you should tell. I don't understand why they still don't trust Buffy. I think it's power. They're like, we need to have the power, and information is what they have as leverage. Yeah. For and it's what? always been about power for them. Like, just who's in charge? It's them, because they know everything. But, I mean, they need all the help they can get at this point. Why keep her in the dark? Exactly. I totally agree with you. So I feel like uh, it's this thing where it's like, I feel like they tell her because it's the end of the world kind of situation. Well, Spike's not doing great. He's still all tied up in Buffy's bedroom, but the evil is creeping in. Buffy explains to Willow that he's going through withdrawal since he's used to eating humans again. Willow offers to kill Anya for him to eat. <laughs> Buffy kind of thinks about it, maybe. That's funny. They decide to send Willow out for animal blood instead. Back at wherever Andrew is. Warren is trying to hype him up to kill her. We don't see who yet. I assumed her wasn't going to be a human, and I was mm -hmm. right. He's a little piggy. <laughs> Where did they get a pig? <laughs> Middle of Sunnydale. I don't know. <laughs> it's not like farms that we've seen. Andrew doesn't want to kill the pig either, so he starts talking about the Babe movie franchise. Warren's like, don't think about Babe. <laughs> Eventually, Andrew works up the courage and just like goes flying through the air at the pig, screaming, That'll do, pig! That was super funny. He misses it hard, like a bunch of times. Warren's just kind of screaming at him, like, You gotta corner it! The pig goes squealing away. Warren tells him that was the worst attempt at pig slaughtering he's ever seen. Andrew <laughs> reminds us he's not good at stabbing. He wonders if there's another way they could get blood. So he goes to the butcher shop. Oh no, that's where Willow's gonna be. It'll be fine. I guess Willow could just go out and kill a baby deer. She's done that before. <laughs> yeah. Andrew makes like a huge meat order to sort of bury the pig's blood in the middle of the list. Do butchers just casually sell pig's blood? Like, is that something people order in this town, maybe? But like, there's very few vampires that can't just eat human blood. Angel's gone. I mean, I guess slaughterhouses sell blood to rendering companies. I don't know what the hell that means. So you just Google that or something? Your butcher or meat purveyor may sell pig's blood. So yeah, I guess some butchers do. Let us know if you have any idea why someone might need pig's blood. I mean, I bet there's things that incorporate blood. I don't know. Blood's nutritious. Spells and shit? <laughs> Spells, for one. That's why I'm like, maybe it is necessary in this town. Pig's blood is used for thickening sauces and adding flavor to sausages. Didn't know. Ew. But, like, wouldn't the sausage flavoring be done at the butcher shop? I'm not, like, I, making my own sausage. I'm not a meat person. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I eat meat. Yeah, good questions. We should have a butcher on. <laughs> yeah, it would be just thrilling. What do you think about Gilmore Girls, butcher? Never seen it. Did you like that episode where Lindsay's trying to make a roast? Roasts are easy. Vampires are real, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the butcher calls Andrew Neo at some point. That was pretty funny. Yeah, was that jacket. was really funny, yeah. 
You didn't buy that this old man butcher would know the Matrix, but Luke no, does. but I didn't think Luke would either. So yeah, <laughs> Luke's never seen a home movie, but he's seen Matrix. Yeah, so I'm gonna buy it that this guy had. He probably saw it with Luke. Andrew bumps into Willow on his way out, literally, and he drops all his pig's blood. She chases him out into the alley. He's afraid she's gonna kill him or torture him, but he insists that he's good now. He does good things. She's like, well, then why do you need lots and lots of blood? He's like, I am bad. I am evil. But I'm protected by powerful forces. And he just starts babbling about how she's going to know true suffering and says to stand down, she witch. She just like shoves him up against the wall and tells him to shut his mouth. Yeah. She calls him an insignificant man and tells him she'll call down her worst fury against him if he defies her. She's obviously sort of lying. She could do these things, but I don't think she intends to. Right. She's sort of pretending she's still an evil witch. Yeah. So he agrees that he shouldn't defy her and she takes him back to the summy res. Buffy uses the blood that Andrew bought to feed Spike just like straight out of the bag, kind of holding above his mouth at like literal arm's length. That was weird. Like put it in a cup. You fed him with a straw before. Yeah. I mean, he seems like he's really into this right now. Right. Which is exactly why I don't think she should do this. Like mm-hmm. having him drink it straight from the bag is more like drinking it straight out of a body. You probably mm-hmm. want to make the delivery method less animalistic. Sure. I mean, he's in an animalistic state. Yeah. But Buffy almost seems to like it. She probably does. That's weird, man. Andrew's now realized that Willow was maybe overpromising on her threats because he notices her hair isn't even black anymore. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. He says that they're not going to get any information out of him. So Xander ties him up in Dawn's room, and Anya and Xander do like a good cop, bad cop thing on him to try to figure out what he's doing here. Anya stomps all over his new coat. She like slaps him across the face. Xander acts like this was all too much and takes her out of the room to talk to her. But he's actually super proud of her and her performance. And they're sort of just like digging, messing with him. They're having like a good time doing this. I will say that this is like weirdly shot. I feel like the natural lighting looks weird. Almost like it's a lower resolution camera or something. Hmm. I don't know if I caught that. I've noticed this a few times this season and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's in high def camera and so the light comes across weird. It just seems like it's filmed differently than Buffy has been previously. Spike's feeling better after his gross snack. He tells Buffy that he doesn't really remember doing any of this stuff. He sort of loses time. He'll wake up somewhere, not really remembering how he got there. She asks how long his chip hasn't been working, and he says he wasn't aware that it hadn't been working. We saw last episode, though, that it did work on Xander, so still TBD on when it works and when it doesn't. Buffy asks how he got his soul back, and he tells her he made a deal with a demon. You know, trials, torture, yada yada. She's like, uh, trials, tell me about him. (laughs) He's also ready to talk about the fact that she used him and that she did it because she hated herself and took it out on him. But now he says he understands where she's coming from, now that he's got a soul, because as evil as he was back then, in the long time ago, he'd never hated himself, but now he does. Xander and Anya try questioning Andrew again. This time Xander's taking, like, a super nice approach. He, like, unties him and gives him water. Andrew gets, like, all comfy in the chair. Hmm. He tries to tell him how Anya's a vengeance demon, and she's killed a lot of men. And he tells a story that's like maybe about him. He says this one guy who hurt her the most, she replaced his heart with darkness, and he had to live his life that way, feeling empty with nothing to look forward to. Like, not all of it's true. Like, he says she killed this guy and ripped out his intestines later, but I I wondered if he wasn't talking about him. Mm -hmm. I think he was talking about himself. Yeah, there's some lies on either end, but... Andrew tells Xander he didn't do anything, so Anya comes barging in again. She knocks him over. Xander pulls her off of him, and she, like, slaps Xander, I guess because she was a little too into character. 
And then she mouths that she's sorry. She goes back at it with Andrew. So there's this convenient little alcove in Dawn's room this episode where there's like nothing but a plant that like a lot of this scuffle is taking place in. Mm-hmm. I looked at some older episodes. It definitely used to be a closet. Yeah. Now there's just an empty space where there should just be a desk or a dresser or something. More on this in a minute. Buffy hears this noise and leaves Spike to go check. But when she closes the door behind her, we see evil apparition of Spike waiting to talk to tied up Spike. Buffy asks Xander and Anya if everything's okay. And Xander's still just like holding his face where Anya slapped him. Andrew's shaking his head, no, everything's not okay. And Anya says everything's fine. Buffy's just like, okay, and leaves. <laughs> but before Buffy goes back into her room, she hears Spike kind of talking and laughing and singing. When she confronts him, he insists it was nothing, but pretty quickly goes vamp, breaks out of his ropes. Andrew's afraid of Anya. He's decided to talk. He's right in the middle of telling her that they needed more blood to activate the seal when Spike punches through the wall and just like pulls Andrew through it into Buffy's room. So I guess that's probably why we need this little alcove. They wanted like a wall they could break, maybe. It seemed to me pretty obvious what was going to happen. Yes. Andrew was against it. It was very like Scooby-Doo kind of where it's like something about this shot isn't right. (laughs) He's just like like, right in the middle of this wall with no one else in the shot. This blank wall that did not used to be there. And (laughs) it's got uh, heavy RoboCop vibes where he just busts through it and grabs him. Pretty cool still, even though I'm making fun of it. It's still pretty cool. Yeah, it was just obvious it was going to happen, but it. It was well done. So Spike starts to bite him. Cut to commercial. What's gonna happen? He bites him a little, but Buffy manages to pull him away before he does too much damage. She slams Spike against the wall, and then he comes to, realizing what he's done. Yeah, he comes all over the place. He's like, this is what I'm used to be into. <laughs> we did the ropes. Now we're doing the slamming. <laughs> what are all these people doing here? <laughs> Evil Spike is looking on disapprovingly, and Buffy kicks... Good, Spike? I don't know. Just right in the head. Buffy later explains to Willow and Dawn that Spike didn't seem to want to hurt her. He just kind of pushed her aside and went charging at Andrew. Xander and Anya join. Dawn asks how what's-his-name is doing. It's a very fun running joke that no one remembers Andrew's name. Yeah. It's not the last time they do it this episode. So they've got Andrew tied up upstairs again. Everyone's kind of looking to Buffy like, how long are we going to keep Spike in the house? He seems like kind of evil. Buffy's trying her best to think of a solution other than Spike just being evil again. She mentions she heard him singing earlier, and Anya pitches that maybe it's another musical. (laughs) And Buffy says that Spike mentioned something about a song in the last episode, and both times he changed instantly. Xander suggests this could be a sleeper agent brainwashing trigger like the military uses. I asked the same question Will is about to ask, which is, is that left over from your military days? And he says, no, it's just from every army movie I've ever seen. But I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, we're done with that. This is just movies. Yeah, that's all worn off. Buffy's like, okay, well, what you're saying, Xander, must certainly be the case. So let's get researching and figure out how to unprogram him. Principal Wood is working late. He loves that shit. Yeah, working late, yeah. The writers forgot to give him a home, so he's just always got to be at the school. <laughs> There's no money left for sets after all of the CGI that they do in this episode and this whole season. So, yeah, he just lives there. It seems like he's probably headed home for the night, if he has one. But the school basement seems to be calling to him. So he kind of stops in his tracks, thinks for a second, and turns around and heads back down to the basement. Specifically to the place where Andrew has left Jonathan's body on top of the seal. 
I'd say Principal Wood doesn't seem shocked to see a dead body. Yeah. Well, he's probably going to call the police to deal with this, though. Yeah, I, he doesn't. But What? I mean, he seems somewhat aware of what he was getting himself into, being the Sunnyvale principal. This kind of stuff happens all the time. It, yeah. I mean, they had a whole giant egg monster down there once. It was one little dead body. You got to wonder how many bodies Flutie found. It's just principal stuff. Later, we do see him burying Jonathan's body out in the desert, but I'm sure he's a good guy. He's just <laughs> trying to keep the school clean. Yeah. He doesn't want to waste everyone's time with a funeral and, like, figuring out who this person is. He threatened to call the cops on those vandals and then didn't. Maybe he just doesn't like talking to the cops. Could be. Buffy has relocated Spike to some shackles in the basement. They're really getting a lot of use out of this basement. Were there always shackles? It's not a bad idea to have them. Yeah, I don't know. She comes down to wipe the blood off his mouth. I'm not sure if that's from biting Andrew or from where Buffy smacked his head and kicked him in the face a bunch of times. Either way, you'd think he would have licked it off. I bet his own blood is good to him. Yeah, sure. He asked Buffy if he hurt anybody. She tells him that he took a good bite out of Andrew. Spike's like, who? <laughs> Buffy says, Tucker's brother. And Spike's like, oh. He laughed so hard. <laughs> it's such a funny line. The way he just says, oh, like he has any fucking clue who that is. <laughs> it was just such a serious moment where Buffy's like tending to his wounds, holding him. Yeah, but like he has no idea who Tucker is. Oh. I guess he would know Tucker more than Andrew. <laughs> I don't know. No, yeah, we laughed for forever at this. I don't know that he, was a, he wasn't around for prom, so he has no idea who <laughs> Tucker is. Oh. She tells Spike about Xander's trigger theory, and Spike tells her that she needs to kill him. Because she really has no idea what he's capable of. He tells her she's never met the real him. But, like, what is the real him? She met him when he was evil and when he wasn't in love with her. Wasn't that the real him? Hmm. Was he soft then because he was in love with Drew? I think what he means is that, like, yeah, you knew me as, like, an evil vampire. And, like, I did evil stuff around you. But, like, you never saw me. You were never there when I was doing, like, my most depraved evil things. Sure. Like, yeah, you know conceptually that I've killed people, but, like, you don't know how I did it. Like, you did meet Angelus, and you saw the stuff he wanted to do, but, like, you never saw me do that dark of stuff. Sure. Like, you know I killed the Slayer, but you didn't know, you didn't, like, watch me do it. You didn't see how much joy I had. Because then he goes on to tell her that he knows just the right amount of blood to drink from a girl before she actually dies so that she still cries when you dot, dot, dot. Right. Pretty intense. Because it's not worth it if they don't cry. So does he mean kill her or he makes her cry while he does other bad stuff to her? Because I think it's that. I think you're right. Since he doesn't say it, he seems like pretty ashamed of it. And then his next question is, do you want to know what I've done to girls Dawn's age? So I, I think he's sort of implying the fact that he's done some kind of messed up stuff to women. Yeah. Buffy's like, sure, but you're not in control now. We're going to figure this out. You're locked up. It'll be fine. He wants to know if she's ever really asked herself why she can't kill him, because he knows it's not love. But she's still sticking to the story that it's because he's fought with her and saved lives and helped her lately, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, nah, you're doing it because you like it when men hurt you, and you need that kind of pain to do your job. Buffy insists that this isn't true, at least not anymore. She tells him that she's letting him live because she knows he's changed and he's repented for what he's done. And he's just being messed with by some other being. And she knows that if they can figure that out, he can still be a better man. Like he sought out to be when he got his soul. And she believes in him. That may all be true, but I think there are a couple other things that could be happening here. Mm -hmm. What's that? I think she probably does love him, whether she's admitted that to herself or not yet. 
what version of him she loves, I don't know. But I think she's interested in at least getting to know the non-murdery version of him. I also think it could be argued that she's still using him. She's got a direct line to the big bad locked up in her basement, and she wants to, like, study it and figure out how to kill it. If she kills Spike, she can't do that anymore. So I think it's both. But, like, this is her biggest clue right now. That's a really interesting thought. I have mixed feelings on this. I don't know how I feel. I think it's complicated that Buffy doesn't know how she feels. I feel like she maybe does have feelings that might be love for Spike, but she's like, I can't be with Spike. He's a villain. Not, I can't be vulnerable with Spike. But in the same token, I feel like if you take the love context out of it, she used Spike last season. She admits that. She used and hurt Spike, even though she knew that she could never be with Spike the way he wanted her to be with him. And I think the hero part of Buffy is like, I have to make up for what I did to this man. And the pain and suffering he's in now, the confusion he's dealing with now is because of me. Mm -hmm. I think that's messed up. He's a bad, evil dude. And like she isn't responsible for the fact that he's evil and suffering right now. But I think part of her, her hero self, does feel that responsibility and feels like I got to fix you because I broke you. That's interesting, too. And she also knows that everything that he's done for her, he's done for, like, the right reasons. He loves her, and he's, like, trying to be better. And she won't ever kill someone who's innocent or isn't trying to be evil. She just can't do it. And she knows, she knows Spike, and she knows that Spike is trying to be a good person, a good vampire, a good entity. And so she's willing to go through these extraordinary circumstances to avoid killing him. And because she feels somewhat responsible for this. And she's got these feelings that she doesn't know what to do with. Well, before Spike can say anything, the power goes out, and cloaked dudes come crashing in the semi-res from all orifices. One comes in through the basement, all the doors, one through the front window that Xander spent all episode repairing. So they gotta fight these guys. Dawn fights them pretty well, actually, for like a while, until she almost dies, and then Xander has to save her at the last second. Are they just men, or are they some kind of demon? They're men. Okay, if they're men... Shouldn't Buffy have qualms about killing them? I mean, I would agree with you if they weren't, like, actively trying to kill her and they weren't, like, giving their souls over to a demon. Sure. Just saying, though. I, I feel like she like has a pretty hard, I shouldn't kill a human no matter how evil they are rule. That is true. And I had never thought about that. Do we know that they're men, though? They have, like, weird stuff happening by their eyes. I'm looking them up. Okay, so it says, okay, they are harbingers of death, or what they're called. Mm-hmm. They're also known as the bringers. They are high priests and foot soldiers of the big bad of the season. And these beings were seemingly formerly humans that have been corrupted and transformed through rituals. So they used to be humans. Okay. They probably can't go back. No, I don't think so. I mean, they seem to be able to see even though they don't have eyes. Yeah. All right. So it's fine that she kills them. I hear what you're saying, though, and that's a really interesting point. I never even thought of that. You're smart. Thank you. Some of these guys make it upstairs to where Andrew is. They're ready to knife him, but Buffy makes it up there. She's trying to stop him. Andrew uses this opportunity to try to sneak out, and then Buffy kind of just grabs him and uses him as like a battering ram against all the dudes. Yeah, I loved all this. I thought the fighting was unique, Mm -hmm. especially since she's using Andrew, which I thought was funny. (laughs) They do have knives. They scratch Buffy pretty good, but she gets a hold of the knives and knives two of them to death. When it's all done, Buffy and Xander go down to check on Spike, and he's not there. Mm. So it seems like these guys were there to get Spike, and we're just fighting them to get to Spike. If that's the case, I'm not sure why they even went up to Andrew. 
I think they wanted to kill Andrew because he has information about this season's Big Bad and knows some of the stuff that it's been working on. But isn't he aiding the Big Bad? Except that they're trying to extract information through him. And Andrew's not the kind of guy that looks like he's going to hold up to torture. Sure. Or even being yelled at real hard. So the house is just littered with these dead guys now. Buffy looks at one of them in the face and recognizes their kind as someone she's fought before. She realizes now that they're up against the first. What? Figured it out. Okay, so when they revealed it, when it aired, I remember being like, yes, just like shouting it. Because I had suspected that that was what the villain was. And I loved that they were bringing it back full circle for the final season. I loved it. And I still do. I, I love this whole concept that we introduced this crazy powerful villain in season three. Acted like it was going to be this big deal. But then Buffy like broke some stuff and it went away. And now we're bringing it back like, oh, we're going to pay all that off. Like, we don't just introduce a giant big bad and not address it. It's funny because they thought the show might end with season five. So they mm-hmm. were going to let this go unused. No, that is interesting. Yeah, I, I know that Joss took some stuff from the finale of season five and used it for season seven. Once he realized that they were going to get uh, two extra seasons. But I don't know how they would have worked the first into season five, which was yeah, predestined. I think it was still going to be glory. But I, I was really pumped about this. What do you think about this episode? What do you think about the first? Yeah, a question I had is like when you were watching this for the first time or even live when it aired, especially the latter, did you remember the first? Because it was just like one episode in the middle of season three. Yeah. That's true. I mean, for me, it was always in the back of my mind of like, we have this huge offer. We're just really never going to pay that off. It just Do you think you like had rewatched season three at this point? I had seen season three again, at least some of it. And Amends was like a big episode. Because like in our case, we didn't binge this show, but we watched it faster than it actually aired. There was just so many memorable evil things in that episode. The first, Buffy's bangs. I mean, it's just like you're never going to forget. <laughs> but I figured it out. You did. And I think that's aided by the fact that we have watched and rewatched some of these episodes. Like, I think we rewatched Amends for one of our watch parties, too. So I just probably have seen these episodes more than some people did watching it for the first time. But, like, when I was trying to figure it out, I was like, what's the most evil thing that they've referenced? It doesn't have to be that, but it has to be the most evil thing, I think. Mm-hmm. And the show has already told us what that is. And we also gave you the clue in the first episode where I and some other people in discussions were like, Can you tell who the big bad is? Which lets you know that you should have enough information to know who the big bad is. And the first episode doesn't say who the big bad is. So you had to be like, it's got to be someone that we've mentioned in the last seven seasons. And it turns out it's one of those eggs that hatched (laughs) at the very end of Teacher's Pet. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, in London, things are just bananas. And I mean the cars. All the cars there look tiny and squashed and silly. Is that how it is there? I think so. It is, yeah. Huh. But also at Watcher headquarters, things are quite chaotic. They're talking about how all their files and records have been wiped out. They've lost contact with operations in all kinds of countries. There's casualty confirmations coming in from as far away as Melbourne. One of the female Watchers tells Quentin that they're crippled, and he tells her that they're still masters of their fate, still captains of their souls. And like some uplifting music plays, like this little poem is supposed to be at all comforting. We're not even supposed to root for these people. We've never once been told that they're good. (laughs) The Watchers Council, whenever they show up, it's like bad for Buffy. Yeah, totally. Quinton makes an announcement that the first has declared an all-out war on the council. 
so far the first is kind of killing it. <laughs> is that how he says it in his British accent? And the first is kind of killing it, actually. Yeah, he's like, they're really crushing it out there, man. I don't know what to do. We got to send in the good guys to deal with this stuff. <laughs> but he says it's time the council strikes back. He wants all the remaining operatives there as soon as possible so that they can be prepped for mobilization to the Hellmouth. Are these the potential slayers that I predicted, potentially? I don't know what you're talking about, Boo. Mm-hmm. And then he quotes the Bible. Is God real or not? Does Quinta believe in God? Are we going somewhere with this? They're bringing up God a lot. I mean, Buffy literally said in like two or three episodes ago that it jury's out on that. The passage he quotes is from Proverbs. For by wise counsel, thou shalt make thy war. And in multitude of counselors, there is safety. That's a good passage for the situation. Mm-hmm. Good quote, Quentin. Good quote. Good quote. Good quote. So that's exciting. The Watchers are going to save the day. There's an army of potentially potential slayers coming to help. It'll be really nice to see Buffy and Quentin like face off again. They had great chemistry as like foes. So I'm really excited to see them have a mm-hmm. scene together again. Oh, but maybe not, because then the Watchers Council building explodes. What? They're just all gone. What? Oh, no. Loved them. <laughs> Loved them. Mm-hmm. We'll never know what the Watchers Council is or does now. And that's what Joss that's said That's what the writers aloud. thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what Joss said aloud. Questions, answer. <laughs> we got to talk about this explosion. It's bad. It doesn't it's look good. not, it's just, could you not have just... I would have rather they had blown up like a cardboard building. It just looks so fake. The CGI, lo- it looks like someone did this on YouTube. It doesn't even look like a cable access show did this. It looks so bad. Like a Steven Seagal movie explosion. One of his new movies. Yeah, like a tiny model might have looked better. Well. They're all gone. Yeah. We don't know. Maybe some survive. We'll see. Giles is still MIA. Although last time we saw him, it looked like he was like literally about to have his head chopped off. I bet he had, like, a real catchy line that stopped the guy from doing it. Like the line caught the axe? No, like, he said something. It was like, I know your mother. (laughs) He, like, quoted the Bible. And the guy was like, whoa, is the Bible important this season? And then (laughs) kills him. Yeah. I know your mother. (laughs) He knows people's moms. He's like, Martha. Martha? That's a deep cut for Batman versus Superman. Oh, yeah. I'm not part of that. Not many were. I think I actually did see it, but not enough to know what you're talking about. Then we see Spike getting all tucked into a torture bed. A cloaked man starts carving a nice pattern into his tummy as evil Spike and eventually evil Buffy look on. When we say evil Spike, because I think it's a little confusing. The first, I think we can say that now, the Mm -hmm. first has taken the form of Spike and is taunting Spike in Spike's form. And does the same with Buffy. I'm assuming the first can only take the form of people that have died. Yes. Evil Buffy says she's tired of being subtle and wants to add some authority to their presence. Their presence being the first presence. And asks Spike if he wants to see what a real vampire looks like. And then they crank his little bed upside down and let his blood drip onto the symbol where Jonathan used to be. As the cloaked men chant. And as his blood fills the symbol, some pieces of it flip open. And out of this little star shape, a real demony looking demon, kind of like if the master really let himself go. <laughs> not fat wise. It's not. He hasn't kakis toed. Like he's got all his fingers and toes. He's got. A, he's very fingery. Yeah. And um, that guy's here now. He's um. He's out of the ground and ready to go. So was there really just not enough blood from Jonathan? 
Or was, yeah, was blood was just the, not good? Would pig's blood point. have worked? I think enough, yeah. What? Jonathan's got plenty of blood. It's not like they got rid of all of Spike's blood to do this. Just a little dripped out of Spike. Well, I think they just needed a little bit more blood. Okay. They could have, like, squeezed him like a dish rag. Or Andrew just, like, cut his hand a little bit. It just seems like... Yeah, it feels like he could have done it to himself. But they probably also wanted to get a hold of Spike for the same reason that they wanted to kill Andrew, is that he does have a connection to the first, and they didn't want that in Buffy's hands. Yeah. They also, I think, wanted to punish Spike for trying to resist yeah. the first control. Real quick, I want to mention that this new vampire is played by Camden Toy, who also played Gnarl mm. and one of the gentlemen. Love Gnarl. I imagine he'll be around for a minute, too. I don't know. Interesting that he's so fingery, because Gnarl was pretty fingery, and I liked that. Do we have any other adjectives? <laughs> Very no? fingery. That's, that's all Joss said. They were like, how should we design this vampire? Very fingery, fingery. Can you say something else, Joss? No, fingery. No, no communications from Pony Girl this week. I haven't gotten any good words. So. <laughs> fingery is what we're going with. So what is this thing that comes out of the ground? Um, I'm guessing it's the first vampire. The first vampire. Yeah, so Buffy's probably got to round up the first slayer and deal with that shit. Hmm. Just round her up. You know, go to the desert and wait till she comes. That's how you get her. Or dream. It's not sure. hard to find her. Nah, it's easy. I think there's going to be an army of slayers against an army of vampires. That's where we're going. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. We should talk about a couple things in this episode. Buffy says, it's the first. We fought these things before. And then says, all these people we've been seeing that are dead, it's been the first taking their form. Now, we don't know that that's actually true when it comes to Joyce. This is what I didn't want to talk about before because we didn't know that it was the first yet. But that is supposed to be maybe confirmation that Joyce was the first and not actually Joyce. But we don't know that. And Buffy doesn't have any way of knowing that either. And the fact that there was like physical things happening in the house would suggest that it was not the first because the first cannot interact with the physical world. Um, yeah, I still suspect that that wasn't Joyce and Buffy's just assuming things. However, the DVD commentary, this is what I was alluding to but couldn't say before, the DVD commentary on that episode explicitly says that Joyce is the first. So canon is Joyce did not reappear to Dawn. It was the first. So I guess canon-wise, we're supposed to say that was the first and we must headcanon it to say that the first was working with some other demon that could interact with the world, and that's why it was able to, like, throw stuff around and put blood on the walls and, like, throw Dawn against the door. But I like to think that it was actually Joyce. Yeah, I mean, depending on if Joyce's prediction comes true or not. Well, Anya says that often when she was evil, she would say true things. Yeah, but I'm interested to see how Dawn's prediction does come true. But also, we don't have any indication that the first can tell the future. So how would it know that? You would say, well, how would Joyce know? I don't know. Maybe ghosts know the future. Right. So uh, to me, it doesn't make sense that that's not Joyce. Again, the first can come across as anything it wants. Like when it shows up to Spike as Buffy, it's like a positive figure. You know, it's not necessarily being doom and gloom. So it could have put on a show for Dawn. But if it's the first, yeah, why did it fight to be there? Why wouldn't it just show up and tell her that? Because what it shows up and says is spooky. Yeah. Again, maybe it was all drama and theatrics to really get Dawn to believe it. Who knows? We'll find out. So was this a good episode? 
Yeah. It's a good episode. It was funny. When they were interrogating Andrew, that was really funny. The line from Spike about Andrew <laughs> being Tucker's brother. Oh, that was very funny. The fight scene was pretty good with the bringers. The conversations with Spike and Buffy were good, too. Yeah. I don't know if it's as good as the last couple, but it, I think it was sure. good. I agree with you. And I actually kind of liked her holding that blood for Spike. There was just something animalistic about it that was like, I don't know. Like, I liked it. I don't know how to describe how I'm feeling. Well, you also like it when I feed you, so. Yes, I know. From like a little bag you hold above my head. <laughs> so yeah, I think it was a go. I think this season is strong, guys. I know some people don't like season seven, but I think it's a strong season. Yeah, I think it's really strong so far. I'm interested to see where it goes. It's dark in a different way than season six. Right. Less existential darkness. But I'm interested in everything they've set up so far. All right. Should we move on? To our favorite part of the podcast? Let's do it. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, please tell us what happened on Charmed. Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 7, Episode 9, There's Something About Leo. After Piper learns that Leo became an avatar, Paige and Phoebe seek out help from Kyle. Wow. So, you remember, Leo met the avatars just a couple weeks ago after he went on that, like, vision quest? Mm-hmm. Of course I remember that. And they're, of course, creatures from another plane who can only exist in this plane in, like, AI-generated avatars that they've created. Naturally, we all know that. But their avatars aren't very good. No. Their plan is to come up with a way to make their avatars better real quick. And they were going to use Leo to help them speed that process up. So it seems as if he did and has now become one. So do you think, here we go, here we go, maybe Leo is allowing them to use his dog body. Or do you think that Leo has become one of these creatures himself? I think they're using his body. And he's like on their plane checking out their stuff. And while he's gone from his body, they're using the body. But Leo didn't agree to this. It was something he, like, pitched or, like, he mentioned that, you know, he's got this weird dog body situation, but he's a human soul. So the avatars kind of, like, just find a way to use him as a vessel, as, like, a, a test to see if this is possible. They think it'll be less obvious than, like, taking over a human body. But the problem is, guys, is that the avatars so far have just had, like, these AI-generated bodies that don't have, like, nerve senses or anything like that. And now they do. And they're suddenly like, oh, wow, some things feel good. And we're really into that. So the dog is just like drinking and smoking and humping everything, just anything for pleasure. And it's like, yeah, I'm super into this. So Leo's just like at the bar in his dog form, smoking a huge cigar, having a ton of drinks, slamming all kinds of snacks. Wants to hook up with Piper, but Piper's like, you're not yourself right now. We're not going to hook up. And he's like, fine, I'm going to hump this chair. And he's doing a bunch of, it's, it's too much. It's really, it's like, they shouldn't have aired this. Paige and Phoebe see all this because they're around, you know. And of course, we know that Kyle works at the post office. So they're like, Kyle's got all kinds of experience with dogs. Right. From his mail route. Mm -hmm. So they get help from Kyle. And they're like, what do we do? Leo is like being rogue right now. I know he's like a human in a dog body, but like, what, what do you think? we could do if this was a dog you'd encounter on a route what would you do to calm him down and he's like well we got to take him to obedience training so they take it's a very funny episode they take this avatar to obedience training and they teach him discipline and he eventually is like oh i just maybe i shouldn't drink as much yeah so the avatars really learned a lot about what mm -hmm. it means to be a good dog in this episode yeah. which is not something they expected but they take it back to their meeting 
Well, they find out that he really likes being called a good boy. It's better than the drinking, than the humping, than the treats. He just really likes being called a good boy. And so he's like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want, just as long as you call me a good boy. And then, of course, this avatar pops out of his body. Leo pops back in, and all the girls were like, you were weird today, man. And he's like, what are you talking about? I just was sleeping. Why am I hung over as shit right now? After he says that, he starts to get, like, flashes of being on this avatar plane. Mm-hmm. But he's he's keeping that to himself for now, because he's not really sure how to process that. I'm sure it won't come up again. I don't know. These avatars seem like bad news, and I think Leo's in trouble. And Piper maybe should have left him last season. Yep. Well... This has been Meanwhile Uncharted. Well, Brian, then we watched Gilmore Girls. Why don't you tell the people about Knit People Knit? So this episode is about Lorelai introducing Christopher to Stars Hollow and the difficulty she has in getting them to accept him. And Rory goes to a party. Yes, and Rory goes to a party. And Luke deals with some parenting issues. Oh, boy. It's Friday night dinner, and Richard and Emily are celebrating Lorelai and Christopher's elopement. Is elopement a word? Yeah. They've gotten Lorelai a present. She's very excited to open it, but she finds out it's an atrociously ugly painting of, I don't know, like a little wolf girl? They called it wolf girl. They did, and that's what it looks like. And it's an etching. Yeah, and it reminds me of that that fresco of Jesus the Spanish one that some 81-year-old woman like stole mm-hmm. and then tried to improve and made it much, much worse. Yep. It looks a lot like that. I love when Rory sees the art. She like gasps. <laughs> yeah, it's so ugly. Lorelai's probably just like wishing she had accepted Luke's sailboat paintings at this point. <laughs> this is, of course, intentional by Emily. This is sort of her revenge for having learned of Lorelai's wedding via a voicemail. Then Emily just continuously plays the voicemail a few times. It is very funny. Lorelai just like tacks on her marriage at the end. She's like, Christopher and I are back from Paris. Gigi's all set. And we just yeah, sort of um, ended up uh, getting married. Anyway, see you Friday. See you Friday. <laughs> I love how like into this Richard is too. Yeah. We get a little naughty Richard. It like, reminds me of when he was looking at Emily's mug shots a few episodes ago. Yeah. I don't remember if it was him or Emily, but they were like, why just talk about it when we can share it and <laughs> just keep playing it? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. And I feel like Emily's got a point, so I get her frustration. They're both just like pretending it's like beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when we found out about Lorelai's wedding? Let, let's hear it. Yeah. Emily wants to throw a party for the two of them to further celebrate their marriage, and Rory agrees that this would be a good idea, so Lorelai reluctantly says she can. When I say reluctantly, she turns it down, but I feel like she is kind of excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Emily wants Lorelai to invite all of her Star's Hollow friends, but Lorelai's like, nah, it'll just be Suki and Jackson and Michelle and Rory and Logan if Rory wants, but that's it. And the reason for that is because she doesn't know if the Star's Hollow community is ready to accept Christopher. More on that in a little bit. The next day, Rory is moving out of Logan's apartment and into Paris's apartment once again. Logan, Paris, and Doyle are all helping. There's a pretty funny little scene where Doyle brings in her giant editor pencil. Yeah. He looks pissed about it, too. They love handing him a comically large prop. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's just a regular pencil. <laughs> Danny Strong is small is the theme this week. <laughs> I guess so. That's a connection. <laughs> Paris has a giant, complicated contract for Rory to sign. She's all like, this way you can't just, like, leave like you did last time. And she's like, you kicked me out. And Paris is like, right, and this contract will make it so I can't do that again. 
This contract also has like a very specific formula for charging Logan for any utilities he uses while he's there. Or any other paramours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in case she breaks up with Logan. She's very thorough. She's going to be a good lawyer and a doctor. She's going to be a lot of things. It, this is all pretty funny, especially when Logan goes to leave and Paris just cheerfully says, I'll put you down for half a day, Logan. I know. As you guys know, Logan has moved back to the States. He's now going to be living in New York. So that's how he can be in the show still regularly. And Rory wanted to move out to like show her independence, I guess, or to do this on her own. Logan wants her to hang out with him on Thursday because he's going to be whining and dining some clients at a fancy restaurant. But Rory says she can't because Thursday is Lucy's birthday and she's throwing a 2002 party. When did this show come out? When is this airing? This is 2006. Okay, so just not that different. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think it's a fun theme. Sure, yeah. i not even shitting on it. I feel like this is something college kids would do. I feel like I might have done it. Roy says that Lucy is a senior, but November of your senior year is like pretty late to be turning 21. Sure. I mean, people get into stuff weird times and maybe she skipped a grade. Yeah. Like I was young for my class. I was born in the summer, but I entered my senior year of college at 21. So I don't know if that's a mistake or if they're just like, Lucy's young. I don't know. I also love the joke when Logan's trying to get Rory to come to New York. He's like questioning the theme of her party. She's like, mm -hmm. what's your theme? He says, contracts. She's like, ugh, boring. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Gilmore house, Lorelai is practicing knitting. Why? Because Stars Hollow is holding a knit-a-thon to rebuild the bridge. You remember, guys, the bridge they rebuilt a couple seasons ago? See, there's continuity. <laughs> she does say that they fixed it before, but it was made out of a delicious wood that beetles love. And now they're going to make it out of something less delicious. I think they've brought up this bridge like three, four times. They had a cover for it they were trying to raise money for once. This bridge is very important. Yeah. Is this the Brace Bridge? It's um, not. It's no. not, guys. That was a dumb joke. They established kind of a fun running bit in the scene where Lorelai's going through a phase of calling him like Mr. Various String of Adjectives. Yeah. And nouns. He plays along, but Mimi doesn't love it. Then Lorelai says she's got to go into town to get supplies. And Christopher's like, I could come too. But she sort of like balks at that. And here's where she just tells Christopher that the Stars Hollow community might not be ready to accept him. She doesn't really explicitly say why. But I mean, it's because they were fucking Team Luke. They all wanted her and Luke to be together. Yeah, at first I thought this was all because she was afraid Luke would see them. Right, but it's not. Yeah, she says she doesn't want it to seem like they're flaunting. Yeah, and he's like, come on, I've, they've got to meet me. So she's like, you're right, come on, let's go. For a stroll, not a strut. <laughs> yeah, she's like, don't strut. He's like, I won't. So they go into town, and Chris's introduction to Stars Hollow seems okay at first. But Lorelai notices that it's not perfect. But there's some great scenes here. Like, they come across Bebe, and it's, she's just so funny. I feel like she's only gotten funnier as the show's gone on. She says it was smart that the two of them eloped. That way, Lorelai didn't have to buy a wedding dress that she'd only get to wear once. Although Babette did get to wear her wedding dress twice because she went as the bride of Chucky for Halloween once. And Christopher innocently asks if Maury went as Chucky. <laughs> Babette's like, no, he went as a futuristic pirate. <laughs> like, Duh. fucking idiot. Like, why would you? To be fair, yeah, she would probably carry the Chucky doll, but I think it was really funny. Lorelai bought a wedding dress she never even wore. Yeah. Maybe two. Not to mention, she's probably got, like, enough scraps from Lane's dress to make a whole new one. <laughs> they run into Miss Patty, who gives them a literal welcome wagon full of gifts from local businesses to welcome him to Stars Hollow. It's a newlywed thing. Yeah. And Christopher thinks it's all going great, but Lorelai is maybe not so sure. More on that later. More on that later. I like to say that. More on that later. I don't want to address it now. At the diner, Luke's in a bad mood because April has gone back to her mother's and he misses her, even though he won't say that. 
Everyone in the diner is knitting, which annoys him, obviously, because everything annoys Luke. Then TJ comes in and tells Luke that Liz is going to have a home birth. TJ thinks that their doula, whose name is Sandy, goes by the nickname doula, but he keeps using it wrong and she's too touchy about it and he doesn't understand it. (laughs) TJ is such a moron. But he tells Luke that Liz wants Luke there for the birth. And I feel like this momentarily puts Luke in a better mood. Like he's going to be there for TJ and his sister who he loves. But this moment is very fleeting because he says goodbye to TJ and he looks outside and he sees Christopher and Lorelai walking together. And he immediately gets pissed and just kicks out all the knitters from the diner. Says it's a knit-free zone. Yeah. I feel like Luke makes a lot of bad business decisions when he's upset. Like I've said this before, but like how are people still going to Luke's? Depending on Luke's mood, you have a very good chance of getting kicked out or getting cold eggs that taste like fish. (laughs) Can we talk about the fact that TJ's slamming soda water like it's booze? (laughs) Yeah, he comes in and just slams the soda water like that's what he needed to take the edge off. Well, he says he needs a drink and looks like we don't have booze. He's like, well, give me something carbonated. If I drink it fast enough, bubbles have the same effect. (laughs) Yeah, he says it's the same effect. And this whole conversation with Luke, he's like got this glass that he keeps taking like swigs of. Like it's burning his throat like alcohol would. That was really funny. Yeah. Sometimes TJ is like too dumb. But I feel like they give him, like, pretty funny bits. Like, that was a really funny, like, physical thing for him to be doing. And the actor totally. did it really well. Yeah. I'm generally happy when TJ makes an appearance. Yeah, it's tough. Occasionally, he's just so dumb and annoying that you're like, oh, I just, like, don't even like you. But I think most of the time they find that they find how to make him funny. Mm-hmm. But things only get worse for Luke. He's not going to get in a better mood. Later, Anna shows up, and she mentions that April is doing very well after her surgery, and she's, like, showing everyone the scar. Luke's very happy, so the appendix surgery went fine. She's doing great. But Anna also mentions that her mother's not doing very well after her surgery, and she and April are going to move out to live near her mother to help take care of her. In New Mexico. It's far. Yeah, not, not nearby. Luke is shocked, but, like, supportive. He's, like, asking questions, and he understands why Anna would need to do this. But then Anna's just all like, well, I, I got to go. I just want to let you know. And then she leaves. And I'm like, you're just going to come in here, drop this bombshell on Luke, and then immediately GTFO? Are you kidding me? Like, you're not going to talk about logistics or what this might mean for Luke or, like, at least ask him how he feels about all this because this is probably devastating that you're ripping his daughter away. I feel like this isn't, like, a two-second conversation. This is a, like, hey, let's get coffee and let's, like, really talk about this because I know it's going to affect you a lot. I wonder if she just, like, doesn't even really – realize or hasn't paid attention to how close they've gotten it's tough to say i think she in her head is like april's my kid and like luke can visit her because that's nice but like he's not really her parent and he doesn't have the emotional attachment i do and neither does april have that attachment to him yeah and it doesn't affect april very well either later april is at the diner just super depressed and she starts crying so luke takes her outside And she's just very upset about how her life was just getting good here, and now she has to leave it all behind. And, like, start all over making friends and stuff. Yeah, and it's not easy for April. She's not socially adept. And so she's sort of crying, and he's there comforting her. So Luke invites Anna to lunch, where he tries to convince her to let April finish her school year here in Stars Hollow. It's going to be about six months, and Anna's like, yeah, we're not doing that. I'm not going to leave my daughter for six months. Luke's like, well, she can stay with me. I totally get it. And if we can't do that, maybe we could buy her some plane tickets, you know, from New Mexico to here so she knows that there's going to be trips so she can look forward to that and it doesn't just feel like she's being ripped away from her life. And he mentions that he has told April that she could come visit him for spring break and part of the summer. Anna does not take that news well at all. 
she gets very upset. She's like, you can't just tell her that she's going to be here for spring break. I don't know what my life's going to be like at that point. And you're making promises to my daughter that I don't know that I can keep. And you have no business doing that. I'm her mother. And then she gets up and she's going to leave. There's a lot of her just showing up for about 10 seconds and then leaving the scene. She's busy, man. She's got places to be. I guess so. But I have to say, like, this is absurd. Well, let's take a step back. I agree that Luke should not be making promises like you can come here for spring break. He doesn't know what Anna might have planned for that. Right. He doesn't know what her situation is going to be, so he shouldn't make that promise. I feel like it is fair for him to say, you can come visit me whenever your mother thinks that's appropriate. You've got a place here as far as I'm concerned. Maybe we could talk about spring break. Maybe this summer. But in the same token, for Anna to be so upset about this, it's like, no, lady, you're in the wrong. You've just ripped his child away from him, and you're mad that he's trying to make it work? You didn't even give him a conversation about this. You're just like, yeah, that's the way it is. Who knows if you'll ever see her again? Because he suggests in the scene, like, well, will you guys be coming back at all? She's like, I don't know. I feel like that's unconscionable. That's that's awful that she would do that to April and to her father. What she should have done is cut Luke some slack. She should have had a conversation with Luke and said, like, hey, I know. How interested are you in seeing your daughter more? Like, do, do you think you would like her to visit more? Like, is like how does this hurt you? Like, she doesn't even care how this affects Luke. She doesn't seem to care about how this affects April. I don't think that's totally fair. Moving is something you have to do. I moved when I was 16, and it sucked for the kid, but, like, sometimes you got to move. You're the kid. I was the kid. But for her to just pretend that Luke isn't her father and, like, should have no say in this is pretty absurd. I think it's totally fair for Luke to assume he's going to see April during spring break or the summer. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like you said, he maybe shouldn't have, like, promised that without, you know, he could have maybe couched it a little. Like, yeah, we could talk to your mom about this. I'd love to have you for spring break if she's fine with it. Absolutely. She should know that April will want to do that, to Mm -hmm. see her old friends. Yeah. And I think what she could even say to her daughter is like, listen, you're definitely going to see your dad again, either this summer or spring break, or we'll figure it out. Maybe I can't promise you spring break right now until we figure stuff out, but like, it's going to happen. Don't worry, daughter. I was just so mad at Anna for like not even considering his feelings. I get that she's in a tough place with her mother, like pretty much dying. But still. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like Anna's making probably the right decision for her. And I I get that she wouldn't just want to, like, leave April with Luke. Yeah. And and she can't exactly, like, split her time. You know, she's got to, like, go to the same school probably. Yeah, I feel like she could leave April here for six months. And she, as the adult, could come back and visit. She'd come back for a week. Yeah, that's maybe a solution. To at least let her finish this school year. Yeah. Or finish grade school like she might be about at an age where she's only got like one more year before going to high school or something totally specifically anna says in the scene before she leaves that these are anna's decisions to make not luke's and that's my problem it's like no you've already made some decisions for luke like keeping his child from him so it's not as clear as i'm the mother and you're an absentee dad it's like you're an he's an absentee dad because you made him an absentee dad Mm mm-hmm We all know, including her, that Luke would have been there for April. Then TJ calls, says Liz is having that baby. So Luke's got to get over there because who knows what Dula's doing. At the inn, Lorelai is complaining to Suki that Chris's reception was cordial but not warm. She says Miss Patty didn't even pinch his butt. That's kind of funny. Yeah, she's historically very obsessed with his butt and face and everything. Suki explains the town really wanted her to marry Luke. So the town's going to need some time to like really accept Christopher. And she suggests that they could win the town over with, like, some sort of, like, PR campaign for him. 
Then Lorelai suggests, well, maybe Christopher could hang out with Jackson because Jackson has a lot of social clout in Stars Hollow. And if people see that Jackson likes Christopher, well, then they all like Christopher. So they decide to set them up for a man date where they'll drink some beer together. Part of me is like, does Jackson have social capital? He did win that election, I guess, but against the devil. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I believe that he's well liked. Maybe he interacts with a lot of people selling his wares. Sure. Suki's also making yarn balls out of spaghetti with breadsticks for needles. Yes. It's not going well, but it's a great idea. I love that. Yeah, she kind of says, like, it's not a good idea. I feel like it's fine. I I don't know. I think she's having a hard time making the balls out of spaghetti. Mm. But I think they end up just kind of having, like, piles of spaghetti. It looks like they end up just having piles. Which is, it's unknitted yarn. Yeah. It's not a skein or a Harvey or a ball. It's just a splattering. Why do you know these words? Because they kept saying skein. I was like, what the hell is a skein? I do know skein, but did you, are those other ones words? Yeah. Would you think I just made up two other words? I guess I could have. I do. I, I believe you maybe did. Those are all terms for groups of yarn. Back at Yale. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I need answers. Did you say a Harvey? Yeah. You can be like, one Harvey of yarn, please. And someone will bring you one? <laughs> someone. Yeah. I mean, if you're at a yarn store, yes. If you're at a restaurant, no. All right. No, it's not a Harvey. It's a Hank. Damn it. But the other ones were right? We got Skeen. Mm-hmm. We got Hank. We got Ball. Okay, Ball I know. And we got Cake. Cake? Yeah. All right. Cake looks like a bird nest. Ball looks like a ball. Hank is like a skein, but like not tied. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not an expert at that Is stuff. a skein like a flat? A skein is a ball, but it's formed into like an oblong shape. Uh-huh, uh-huh. My mom's got skeins. Yeah. That sounds like your mom is dying of a disease. <laughs> My mom's got real bad skeins. She's got skeins right now, guys. You wouldn't believe you it. You go in there, there's skeins all over the house. I'm just, oof. Oof. Back at Yale, Rory shows up at Lucy's with some party stuff. Marty's there, and he's super cold and monosyllabic with her while she tries to make some small talk. He's not having small talk. But then Lucy shows up, and he's super affectionate and talkative again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rory's all like, mm, I don't know how to deal with this. So she heads back to her apartment to get some more items, where she talks to Paris, who is very proud of her dancing skills. She's like, I'm going to tear it up at this party. And then while Rory's on the phone with her mother... She and Doyle are, like, practicing dancing in the background, like, super aggressive dancing, and it's very, very funny. I loved it. Yeah. They're so cute together. Yeah, they are. They're great together. So when they're setting up for the party, the girls are, like, comparing their old Uggs. This is 2006. I could have sworn that's when Uggs were a thing. Like, I was in high school in 02, and I don't remember anyone wearing Uggs. I guess that's maybe, like, a coast thing. Like the I was going to say. Hits the, the mid country the midwest at right we're from wisconsin so years later yeah i definitely remember girls wearing them in college and then being like new and thinking like they weren't cute i'm behind the trends i resisted capris for a long time i resisted skinny jeans i think i pioneered bangs though you pioneered yeah no one had had bangs until stacy i gave myself bangs on like a whim one day and then like bangs got very popular around like the early 20 teens wow I still got him. No, I'm a relic. Like I said, Lorelai calls and they talk on the phone for a little bit and Rory complains that Marty's being cold and weird and Lorelai explains that that's just how men react sometimes when they feel rejected. Rory is like, well, I rejected him like a long time ago if that's even what happened. I'm like, that's what happened, Rory. But Lorelai suggests that Rory just needs to be the bigger person and be nice to him until he's done being cold and weird. She also tells Rory that Christopher is going on a mandate 
And she says, and Rory's like, is it a mandated mandate? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny. Lorelai has to get off the phone, though, because she sees Christopher walk by in an outfit that is not appropriate for a mandate in Stars Hollow. He's like, I don't love that you're calling it a mandate. (laughs) (laughs) He's dressed too nicely to be having beer with a farmer is essentially the gist of this scene. So she, like, tells him to change into something else. But how do you feel about that, the the forced change? I mean, I think it's stupid. I guess I get that she's trying to go for a certain aesthetic to make him seem like not big city, like he's too good for these people. Yeah. But it is, I don't know, let the man dress how he wants to look when he goes out. I did think the scene was, like, cute, though. Like, maybe Lorelai was in the wrong, but I thought that the actress did it in a cute way. Okay. Like, the way she was, like, kind of being coy. Mm-hmm. But then also, like, yeah, but you should change. Just, like, maybe, maybe the shoes. Maybe all of it just should be different. <laughs> I don't, like I said, it seems mean. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I thought it was cute to watch. Yeah. Because their wagon sucked. She needs him to really try hard. The mandate itself is, I don't know, maybe it's going fine. I can't tell how it's going, quite honestly. It feels like it's not going great at first. Oh, I think it's awkward at first, and they don't really know what to talk about. They're sitting there. I feel like neither of them maybe are even into whatever game is on, and they don't really know what to talk about. Jackson made some joke about like how Christopher would probably rather be having drinks at like a fancy New York bar. I don't really understand why Jackson even says that, because it's not like Christopher's all like, Being fancy. He's not even wearing his fancy clothes. Yeah, I mean, like, Christopher grew up rich, but I don't get the impression that he's, like, out of touch with the common man, you know? Yeah. And and he's not presenting himself in such a way. It it seemed like he didn't have money for a while. Right. Which also doesn't make sense. You'd think he would have been totally supported by his parents, you know, like, trust fund or Mm -hmm. something, like Logan. I don't think his family was as rich as Logan's, but still, I don't know why he ever was struggling. Jackson says that he's got some really good eggplants this year, so if he needs an eggplant guy, he'll be his eggplant guy. And Christopher makes a joke like, well, I'll have to tell my other eggplant guy. And Jackson, like, seems act legit, like, offended by this or something. Like, he doesn't get that it's a joke. I feel like it's an obvious joke, so it's silly that Jackson wouldn't get that. Yeah, it, I don't know. I think this whole scene is dumb. Honestly, I'm just going to say it. I think the scene is dumb. Then Jackson starts talking about farming. I'm putting some big-ass air quotes up right now. He's talking about how farming takes commitment and you got to be 100% committed to those crops. Or you might as well just like pave over it. Clearly talking about how they all love Lorelai and Christopher better be 100% committed to her. And this shouldn't, you know, like really be, I don't know, you know, that it's the like, take care of my daughter. If you hurt her, I'll hurt you kind of talk. Mm-hmm. And Christopher says he also loves farming. Yeah. It's just like, why are you trying to talk in code when you're clearly not being subtle? I think it's just like they're men and they don't know how to express their emotions very well, or at least they're trying to say Jackson doesn't, but he is comfortable talking about farming, would be my guess. I guess. I don't know. I thought it was so stupid. But it's also like him cutting straight to the point of like, I feel weird around you because you're going to hurt my friend. But also, like, Lorelai's the one who consistently has been hurting men. Yeah. So what are you talking about? (laughs) Once they move past it, they're like besties, though. Yeah, then they're great. He's like, I'm going to be there for my crops and fertilize them every day. He doesn't say that, but especially the fertilizing part. That takes on a different context, given that he's talking about a woman. But mm-hmm. they're good after that. And then later at the knitting festival, or fundraiser rather, they like shake hands. The and thon. Like, it's a knit-a-thon. Knit-a-thon. They're like, well, you down to catch the game and drink a beer next Thursday? And like, yep. Then we get to see the knit-a-thon. I like the knit-a-thon. It's a big deal. There's tons and tons of tents and like little stands. 
And just about all of Stars Hollow is participating and adding something. Like, it's there's, like, a ton of people at this thing. I love it. There's, like, giant props. Like, there's a bit where they keep, like, moving around these big needles. Taylor keeps yeah. saying that just because they're not real doesn't mean they're not sharp. Right. They're passing out free needles. Seems like you should have some at this point. Yeah, that was pretty funny because Lorelai's like, oh, pretty progressive of us. Free needles. Uh, it's like a drug thing. And anyway. Uh-huh. There's also like a, a knitting class booth. Like you, you should know at this hour how to knit. I don't mind that because there's probably some people that are coming to support their friends and they're like, oh, I can learn to knit a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Also, there's hand massages available. <laughs> yeah. Taylor, by the way, his outfit. Oh, my God. It's it's blue knit everything and it looks ridiculous. He starts giving the super wordy speech, but his watch is like new and off, I guess. And he thinks he's got like five more minutes, but really he's got like 30 seconds before the knit supposed to officially start. And so everyone's like, you got to go faster. And he's like trying to get through his speech faster. But then everyone just starts counting down. <laughs> so he finally just throws all his cards and says, fine, go ahead and knit. It's always fun to watch Taylor squirm. That's like one of my favorite things to do is watch Taylor struggle. Mm-hmm. So they're all knitting. It's super fun. It's a regular Stars Hollow thing. We'll come back to this. There's a band playing. When he says knit, they start playing this very, like, I don't know, fast-paced, intense song. Uh-huh. I thought that was funny. But it was especially funny rewatching the episode on one and a half speed. <laughs> totally. Was like I was even, like, this song. <laughs> I felt the same faster. way. Back at the 2002 party, the 2006's 2002 party, not a party that happened in 2002. Lucy is very excited to see that Rory brought Paris because Paris is like a legend to her, someone that they watch from afar be kind of crazy. And so she's excited to go talk to her. Then Rory makes her way over to Marty, who is serving drinks, which is kind of interesting because he used to do that as a job. Remember, that's how Logan knew Marty. Mm-hmm. Rory orders an olive branch. <laughs> that's pretty funny, yeah. She's taking her mom's advice and tries to be friendly with Marty. I don't know how much of her mom's advice she takes because she's trying to be friendly, but then just straight up is like, why are you being weird and mean? You put me in a weird position. Stop being a jerk. Yeah. And he's like, okay. And then they're great again. (laughs) Yeah. That's all. She just had to tell him to stop. Yeah. He's like, okay. And then they're friendly and they're making jokes and everything's great. We also get to see Paris and Doyle just living up to their promise and dominating that dance floor. Yeah. It's like a choreographed dance. Yeah. Doyle got so much blood in this show. (laughs) Yeah, he's got all his blood in this episode. It's great. So then we catch up with Luke. It's right after the birth. Unfortunately, we don't get to see Liz give birth to this baby. Bummer. But we have the baby, and its name is Dula. (laughs) Luke's like, you you sure about this name? He's like, yeah, we're calling it Dula. Okay. TJ and Liz are pressuring him to hold his new niece, so he holds her. And while he's holding this beautiful baby, he's so happy. And TJ's like, oh, I bet April will babysit her all the time, right? And Luke's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's clear he's thinking about April. He's looking at this little baby girl and he's thinking about April. More on that later. A lot of that. More on that later. Back at the Nidathon, Babette, Miss Patty, and Suki are all complaining a bit about the cold and their fingers hurting and how maybe this wasn't the best idea to hold this outside this time of year. But Lorelai's poo-pooing them saying it's all just a little brisk. This is a great idea. But then big boy, white knight, rich boy Chris decides to single-handedly save the day. The only way he knows how to save anything by donating a bunch of his unearned money. He just donates seven grand to the fundraiser, effectively ending it, you know, so that they don't have to be out there knitting. He's so proud of himself. Just walks over like a happy dog. And they're all kind of like, oh, thanks, man. So thank you for doing that. Suki, being his PR manager right now, essentially, is like, it was generous what Chris did, right, everybody? (laughs) It's generous. And they're all like, yeah, that's generous. Thank you. 
it's weird because they do seem kind of happy that they don't have to knit anymore. Yeah. Like, they but were they complaining also seem about it. confused. Like, oh, we're done? Right. Lorelai's kind of the only one that's like, but we were supposed to knit. You ruined the fun. I mean, she says that more later, but like, they're all kind of like grateful that they don't have to be in the cold anymore. I don't feel like they are grateful. I feel like they're they're torn because maybe they don't want to be out there, but they're also like, I don't want this to be done, though. Yeah, totally. They're confused of how to feel, I think. But they just start packing up, especially Taylor's like, we could save money if we all leave now. Because they can get the llama back or something? Yeah, I know. Why is there a llama there? I don't, <laughs> I don't know if we saw the llama. But yeah, this definitely doesn't help Christopher's PR. No. I do feel like this is a, some good writing, though, because I feel like they've set up that Christopher's like whole thing is like, I could solve the problem with money. Mm-hmm. But that's not what Stars Hollow is about. I was thinking what you said about him opening the restaurant in Paris with his money. Yeah. And how that's just like not very romantic. I mean, you're, you're right. I do feel like it would be romantic if he had like earned that money. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, he refused his parents' help and then he finally got his life together and made a ton of money and now they're able to live out their dreams. But yet because it is just a gift or an inheritance or whatever. Yeah, and it's not like he's using a big chunk of his inheritance or something either. It's like he's set for life, whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Helicopter rides every day, doesn't matter. He isn't an asshole about his money, and he's not, like, displaying it a ton. You know what I mean? Like, he's not driving around in a fancy car. I mean, he does in this moment display it. Yeah, that's true. But I think it's awful for a lot of reasons, and i kind of mad at Taylor for shutting it all down, because there's all, everyone's there. This is like an event they're having fun at. They made food for this. They've been prepping their stands, or at least their contributions to this event for weeks, and it's just all gone. Yeah, I feel like they could still do it. Part of me is like, you could have raised this money and used it for more things for the bridge in the future. Mm-hmm. But also, like, some of these booze were probably, like, going to make money at this event. Yeah. So that's kind of on Taylor to shut it all down. That's why I'm like, the people maybe wanted to be done? Yeah. I mean, when you take this, they, they were probably tired and cold and didn't want to be out there. But there was still the, like, we got to do it for the greater good. And we're still going to have some fun and community with that. But when that's gone, they're like, we can't think of a reason to make ourselves do this. Yeah. I mean, he just thought he was doing the right thing by helping the town, which is what she wanted. He could have just done it at the end. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I, you know, we're getting close and I knocked it out of the park at the very end. On the way home, Lorelai explains why giving all that money sort of took the wind out of everyone's sails and wasn't the big, wonderful gesture he thought it was. And she says to him, like, you know, you don't have to try so hard, Christopher. And I'm on Christopher's team for this next part, though. He's like, what are you talking about? You're sending me on, like, multiple mandates, telling me how to dress. And now you're saying, like, I don't have to try hard? And then he says, everyone's going to love me because they're going to see how much I love you. And he, he says that crap bullshit. I thought it was cute that he repeated that because she's kind of like, what? <laughs> I couldn't. I rolled my eyes hard. <laughs> and then they also repeat that long Mr. Name bit from the beginning. Right. The book ended with that. But Lorelai agrees and kisses him and they walk off happy. But back at the party, everyone's drunk. Rory's drunk. She's happily drunk. And Marty comes over and sits next to her. He's happily drunk. Like I said, they're friends again. Best pals. Peas in the pod. He makes a joke about being buff now. And she's all like, oh, I can tell you're looking good. And then he drops a way more serious. And you are more beautiful than ever. Marty. Marty. Rory gets real uncomfortable. Her face contorts a lot and kind of resembles momentarily that ruined Spanish Jesus fresco. (laughs) And then she's... (laughs) And then she says, uh, you should be out there on the dance floor with Lucy. And then he picks up the hint and gets up and just starts making out with Lucy on the dance floor pretty hard. 
clearly she's uncomfortable and has awakened something in Marty. I feel like he still has feelings for Rory and like his coldness was like a shield he was putting up. Yeah. Has he been like pining after her though? Or is it just like him seeing her again with her new hot bangs? He's like, I need that. (laughs) Well, ever since the bangs were pioneered, They've been very hot. It's hard to resist them. <laughs> You're welcome, Rory. Actually, I got bangs <laughs> after this was done. So maybe I got them from Rory? Full That's circle. Probably. Oh, I didn't know the show would be back in my life at this time. I mean, I'm guessing he has pined for her. I mean, love doesn't just drop off immediately, especially when... <sighs> but he's got a new set of bangs. Yeah, and part of me wants to be like, you are fine, man. What are you talking about? Maybe Lucy is like Rory light to him. <sighs> Lucy is... Lucy's fine. Lucy, you, you're not settling for Lucy. Brian's got a thing for Kristen Ritter. I think Alexis is prettier. I think they're both pretty, but I would say that Christian... Chris, uh, Christian Bale is the hottest. <laughs> he is fucking hot, man. When he does that Batman voice. Have you seen him with bags? Ooh. <laughs> Christian... Kristen? Kristen? Kristen Ritter. Okay, Alexis Bledel is probably prettier, but Kristen Ritter is hotter, like sexier. Like, she's got, like, sexy vibes. I get that. We went as Kristen Ritter and Aaron Paul for Halloween once. Well, not the people. Their characters in Breaking Bad. Yeah, it was awesome. I got black hair dye all over the shower, and you, you got did. blue barf all over the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got a bunch of blue rock candy, obviously, that I was eating the whole night. I had bags of it. You know, it looked like blue meth from Breaking Bad. We got very drunk, and we made it all the way home until right outside my door, and then I just vomited a big <laughs> blue mess right outside our apartment. It was fun. It was fun until that moment. We get one last scene where Luke angrily drives to Anna's in the middle of the night. This scene's kind of weird, because Anna opens the door and says, April isn't here. And I'm like, do you think Luke's showing up in the middle of the night unexpectedly unannounced to talk to April? I mean, it might have been like 7 or 8 p.m. I suppose. It seemed rather dark. I mean, it's November, they say. Sure. Still, you, like, you're here unexpectedly. Sure, I, I figured it was not the middle of the night. I figured it was no later than nine. Okay. Well, Anna says April's not here, and he's like, I know. She's sleeping at Gabrielle Wilder's house tonight, who has a peanut allergy, by the way. I always make sure that April doesn't have any peanut products in her bag when she goes over there. He says some other stuff that really shows that he knows a lot about April's life, and he's invested in it and has been very responsible about being her father. And then it gets real real with Anna and says, you know, April isn't just your daughter. She's my daughter, too. And you don't get to make all the decisions. I also get to make decisions. He's like, it's true that I wasn't around for a lot of April's life, but that wasn't his choice. That was her choice. And he says, and it was a damn lousy choice. He says that he didn't get to see any of April's like early memories, like her first words or her first walk. And he can't ever get those back, but he isn't going to miss anything else. He's her father, and he has rights, and he will fight Anna on this. And then he walks away, and once again, he's like, I, I have rights. And I'm less like, mic drop, chef's kiss, no notes, Luke. I'm on your team here, buddy. Like it was it's, cool. It was awesome. I feel like throughout the show, Anna has made good points where, you know, he's promised her something that maybe he shouldn't have. But, like, at the end of the day, I've always felt that he should have some resentment for her for keeping... His daughter from him. That's awful. That is awful. That is awful. She says like, oh, do you forgive me at some point? He's like, yeah, yeah. But like, really, she should be like, hey, what I did was wrong. And I I feel really bad about it. I did deprive you of all of these moments with your daughter. 
it's one thing for him to make the decision and he has to live with it. It's another thing to like decide for him. That's not okay. Unless Luke was like highly abusive or something like that or unstable and she was afraid of Luke and what he might do if he found out she were pregnant. That would be one thing, but that's not the case. Her whole argument was, oh, I thought you'd be happier not knowing. And I didn't need you financially. Well, it's still his daughter. That's so uncool, Anna. And I'm glad we're finally addressing the fact that you did something terribly shitty and should be apologizing for it. Yeah, um, people don't like Anna. I get why. It wasn't really revealed till now. I feel like you even kind of liked Anna sometimes. But yeah, when people say they don't like April, a lot of times they mean they don't like Anna. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's also the, the April breaking up Luke and Lorelai, but I think April's great. Love April. Yeah, I don't have a problem with April. I think, yeah, I think she's good. I hear the argument that she was sort of shoehorned into the show to drive a wedge between Lorelai and Luke. But like once she's there, I, I, I like their relationship. Yeah, I agree with you on all and the consensus on those points. It was a weird plot device, but especially this season, I'm like, no, those scenes with her and Luke are great. Okay, so now I gotta ask, was this a good episode? Um, I will say yes. I enjoyed this episode. There's some flaws with it. Like, maybe the, the Christopher storyline was a little dumb. I feel like it's a realistic issue that she would have to deal with, though. That the town would feel a little weird about her, like, jumping into another relationship. Mm-hmm. I wish, I wish we could just like Christopher, though. Yeah. It makes sense that she's with him. I, I feel like he never gets, like, a fair shot from the show. <laughs> No, I agree. Like, there's a world where this should work out just fine, but the show's telling us that's wrong. Yeah, because Lorelai seems legitimately happy when she's with him this season. Yeah. There's the moment after her trip to Paris where she's, like, looking at her ring and she's, like, maybe, like, oh, I don't know. But that might have been more like, oh, I wonder how Rory and my family are going to feel that I excluded them from this wedding more so than I regret marrying Christopher. Yeah. And everything she said has been like, I'm very happy I married to Christopher. She's just, I think, got some unease about how people feel about it. Right. And their chemistry is good. Like, they're flirty and they fight in healthy ways, small fights. Like, I I think as far as it's presented to us, they work as a couple. I'm just not a fan of Christopher because of the money stuff. I hear that. That was maybe a mistake. I think that was just like a way to get Rory out from under Emily and Richard, you know? Yeah, I don't know if it was a mistake, though. I think that they've set him up to be a guy who doesn't understand that money isn't a personality trait. Sure, I hear that. Like, I think this episode kind of spells that out. But I do think at the time it was maybe just a choice to get Rory out from under the thumb of Emily and Richard. Sure, sure. Drive a wedge between them again. Yeah. And now, they, you know, they made that choice, so they're making it part of Christopher's personality. But it, it also makes sense that he would have a weird relationship with money, given that he grew up rich. But I don't know that it makes him like a bad guy. No, I don't think he's like a villain or like a super flawed character. Like he's not a guy that you're like, oh, I can't believe she's with him. He mm-hmm. treats her great and gets her. This episode was pretty funny. Babette was funny. Babette was. The knitting stuff was cute. Paris and Doyle were super funny. Mm-hmm. I didn't love the Marty stuff. I just I don't exactly remember where we're going with that. Yeah, it's just like this thing we're stretching out, right? It's like this little mini storyline that I I don't think is going to be like a big season arc. I bet we're going to wrap it up in like two episodes. Right. But I'm not even quite sure what we're doing with that. 2002 Party is a cute idea. I like that. It's just like, I don't know. It was a nice sort of like quirky episode. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's better than some have been. The Cold Open was great. Love Giddy, Emily, and Richard. Yes. 
rightfully giving Lorelai shit. Yeah, it's it's unusual that Emily has the moral high ground and gets to be mean in a way that we approve of. So yeah. it was fun seeing that. So, yeah, I, I'd say it was a good one as far as season seven goes. I enjoyed it. Which episode do you think was better? Oh, my God, it's so tough. I don't know. Uh, I, I think, I think it's Buffy, man. I, I really, I really liked Luke's ending, mm-hmm. but the rest of this episode just didn't blow me away. It was, it was funny, but it wasn't like so funny. So as much as I hate to say it, I think I'm going Buffy again. Yeah. I mean, where I'm at is I didn't think that this Buffy was as good as they have been the last I agree. few weeks. I agree. And I think this Gilmore is pretty good compared to episodes surrounding it, but I still think Buffy was probably better. But it's a lot closer this week. This was sort of a bit more of a coin toss for me. Mm-hmm. Buffy wasn't like mind blowing. A lot was revealed or like happened, but mm-hmm. also not really. Like we get a very late reveal that there's this ancient vampire. Mm-hmm. The council blows up. We find out it's the first, but it's almost like part one of a two parter in that way that this mm-hmm. stuff is happening. Like we learn about it, but we don't really know what that means yet. But yeah, it's probably Buffy. Sorry, Gilmore Girls. We love you, but you just. This isn't your best season, and it's a pretty good Buffy one. This is, like, the most unmatched the show's been. Yeah. I mean, season one had a lot of Gilmore's win. Oh, yeah. Gilmore had a much stronger start than Buffy. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. There were some similarities this week. Danny Strong was in both. (laughs) We haven't seen him in Gilmore in a while. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. People need time to adjust. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The town needs to adjust to Christopher. Spike needs to adjust. Some people are having upside down drinks. Yes, Rory did order an upside down drink. And, <laughs> and the Spike. seal was having an upside down drink. No, Spike? Spike was having some upside down blood. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant when they flip him upside down. There's also the idea of like trying to get him to change. Mm. Like Buffy's trying to get Spike to change and Lorelai is trying to get Chris to change. Right. And you have a boy being cold and weird. <laughs> Marty and. Spike. Okay. I was like, you mean Jonathan because he's dead now? (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 7, Episode 10, Merry Fisticuffs. As well as Bubba the Vampire Slayer, Season 7, Episode 10, Bring on the Night. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Have you ever had an ex be super weird to you or like somebody that you've turned down be super weird to you? How did you fix it? How much more blood do you think they needed? Could they have just squeezed out a little more from Jonathan? Could they have just put like a steak on there? Yeah, just like get some one steak from the grocery store. There'd be a little bit of blood in there. Have you ever been on a mandate? What do you think of the name Doula? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live streamed watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscriber, Misty Campbell. Thank you. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode descriptions in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. All right, I'm going to cook us up some with some pig's blood for dinner, just to see if it thickens the sauce. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be ramen noodles in pig's blood, but it should be good. It's a thing. I'm going to make a whole skein of it. 
<laughs> this sounds so gross. Let's do it! Bye!